welcome to the Improv Teachers. I'm really excited about this month's guest. It's Gretchen Worges. Uh, before I dive into uh, what we talked about and all about Gretchen, just some fun things have been going on. I'm working on a project for some quick takes for the Improv Teachers, trying to get some of the podcasts transcribed so we can get those online so that people can dig in and, and take out the parts that have really been helping them. And things have just been going, you know, really well. Like I'm enjoying teaching and my MacBook died. And so I bought a Chromebook. I know this is like a weird conversation. And the only issue I've had is my podcasting. So between mix up on editings, still working on the other episode from January and some sound issues. So things sometimes sound a little muzzle muffled. Those are those have been my blips, but I, I still want to get this out there. I still want all of you to hear what's going on. I still want you guys to learn. So bear with me as we get all that going, and I really appreciate it. All right, Gretchen. Oh my gosh, I adore Gretchen. Uh, we you know we're fun friends in life, and she's an amazing improviser. She's from Tucson, Arizona. She's an improv teacher, coach, and performer. She's several years at Unscrewed Theater and, and now performs around the country with her long-form improv duo, Ex-Boyfriend. She also directs a troupe that performs a fully improvised play, which won audience favorite award at the 29 Tucson Fringe Festival. That's not easy to do, so way to go. Uh, the other thing is Gretchen in real life does a lot, uh, has been doing adult training. That's what she does in her adult life. And... To, she understands the adult learner. So there's a lot of great, like we get pretty nerdy and there's some great tips and takeaways uh, about how to engage the adult learner, which is really important if you're teaching improv to adults, right? Um, like as always, I'm so glad you found us. Um, you can find more in the descriptions and let's get to it. It's the Improv Teachers, Gretchen Worges. start with do you remember the first improv class you taught I taught yes well I, I co-taught where I was like the assistant before I taught my full one so I don't know which one you prefer but what do you want to what do you where do you want to start start wherever you feel <sighs> okay well the first one I'll go with the assistant teaching one because it was the most interesting I was teaching a I was helping teach a teen improv class, which was basically 10 boys and one girl, and they all had really bad BO. <laughs> it was interesting to have to have that conversation of, okay, guys, we're going to be in this small room for the next eight weeks. Put some deodorant on. <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. I love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, so now, um, so fast forward to where you are now. Uh, I know we're going to talk about because you've done a lot of teaching in between and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, are you currently are you currently working on anything specific? And then we'll like sort of backtrack from there again. As far as teaching or just improv in general? Teaching right now. Are you? Uh, I mean, well, because you're directing. We know that. Yeah. Right. Like you just came off of a project you were directing, right? Yeah, I, I have an ongoing troupe that does a full-length improvised play. Um, so I'm working on that. We just finished a weekend of shows. And they were, did they come, but they were born of being your students, weren't they? Or some of them. Families? Some of them. One of them is my dual partner. Let's see, one, two of them were my students. 
No, sorry, three of them were my students. One is one of my personal improv heroes because she was one of the first people I saw perform improv here in town. And another I just know through the community. Okay, cool. So the ones that you were their teachers, do you remember what classes, uh, like what, where, where did you teach them? Where did you, where did you meet and teach them, I guess, is my first question. At Unscrewed Theater in Tucson, Arizona. And okay. it, they were actually in my first, like, my first round, they were in my level one, level two, level three, the first one iterations of each of those that I taught. So they kind of came up through my first series of teaching. Okay, so with because I want to look because you've done both. So with Unscrewed, did they give you the curriculum or did you create the curriculum? It was a little bit of both. They didn't really have a lot written down. There was a lot of um, outlines for different classes and things like that. But when I started there, because of my background in education in my professional life, I stepped into the role of training manager, I guess, or training director, and help them kind of nail down some curriculum. That's awesome. So what do you look for when so – they, so they come to you and they're like, hey, here's this skeleton of essentially what we want to hit, right? And what do you then uh, look for – because I think this is really helpful for people who – are either handed basically a shell mm -hmm. of, a, of a curriculum and maybe don't have anyone they can go to and or are trying to do this up and starting. So what are things you're clearly looking for in a syllabus so that you yeah. can make the student's experience rich? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, any time, again, this is what I do in my work life. So when I know that, the I need to know what the end goal is. Um, for each lesson. So if you've got eight weeks and week one is, for example, space work, um, I want a consensus of any any of the powers that be. In the case of when I started developing the improv curriculum, it was the existing instructors and then the, the, the training center director. I'm um, sorry, the um, the theater director. Um, what are the goals? So space work, what is it we want them to be able to do? What can I what can I physically observe them doing that will signify that they have been successful? You know, that should they be able to do an entire scene using space work, space work that gives the illusion of furniture? I don't know. It doesn't have to be quite that specific, but basically what do I want them to be able to do? Yeah. I was going to say, I find actually, even though you're like, it doesn't have to be that specific, I find if I drill down to that specific, it does yeah. help, though. Sure. Yeah, because, I mean, there's different levels, and that was and that was when I left that position, that was kind of where we were going with conversations is, like, what, and now let's look at the levels. You know, this is intro, but what does that look like in a 201, and what does it look like in a 301, and because... And we would hope that we're building on those skills and not just reteaching the same thing, you know, but we should have higher expectations. Did they have a policy then in place to say, because if, the, the thing I like about that specificity and those level of metrics is that I can then observe behavior and say, oh, this student has not met these, thus they're mm -hmm. not ready for whatever comes next if I'm doing a level curriculum, right? That's also super important because, in my experience, you know, I know a lot of people at theaters who they don't, there's no real pass-fail. Like, you do go through the class, you have your, your showcase, and then you pay for it for the second level. So there, there are genuinely people who 
don't hold people to those standards. I think that's part of it too, is this, is saying, okay, here's what the observable behavior, observable behaviors need to be, but then also, well, being truthful, like, what do you do if they don't meet those metrics, you know? Right. So what was, um, I, I have two parts to that question. One, was the theater's policy, and two, do you have a personal philosophy on that? I mean, I can have, for me, it's always who I'm teaching for, because I can have my feelings all day long, but if they're willing to let people go on to the next stage, that's their choice. Unscrewed, right. uh, yeah, Unscrewed didn't really have that policy of, it was like a, you, you could, you could, for lack of a better word, fail a level. Um, you, well, yeah. And that becomes a tricky thing, too. I think we also have to remember, like, it's, we have to look at our communities, right? So if we're a community where people are like, sure, you want to teach me all these things, but if this is like a social club for me and I'm here to have fun and da-da-da, then we may not want to, quote-unquote, fail people or ask them to repeat. It's when we're looking to create them into performers, I feel, that a lot yeah. of people start to trip up on the conversation because either they don't have these metrics in place or they're just really bad at telling someone you're, you're just not ready. Well, yeah, and I think the part of that confusion is that whole idea about like really knowing what the purpose is of your teaching because yeah, I know that they're like Second City, I think, has different different types of training you can take. Like if you're an outside person that just wants to be more comfortable in front of a group of people, you can take one type of training. But if you your goal is to go into the main stage, that's a whole different level of training. And I, and I, I just feel like, you know, if, you, if you're Joe Schmo, businessman, that just wants to feel more comfortable um, and has no no desire to perform, do you still hold them to that standard because they don't, you know what I mean? It's, it's right. definitely something to consider. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, like for us, that's why we, we, we don't have levels anymore and we have a track where it is performance based. So we will say you're not ready, but in the classes that aren't, it's for me, it still helps me to drill down to like, what is the objective and outcome of this exercise? Because that helps me focus up the notes I can give on that student in that moment. Yeah. So I'm not going on some sort of tangent for 15 minutes because I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to tell them. And so even, so I think that's a, a good takeaway for a lot of people. Is like even if your community is that of a bunch of people who are like, I just need to build confidence. I just need friends. It's still yeah. really important to know what the what you're looking for in an exercise. Mm -hmm. When you do, because although they want to have fun, they have, they have an expectation that they're going to grow and learn, and that requires giving them some input. I think that where good training, where good training, like becomes great training, is when you take those measurable things, like they will be able to create invisible furniture in the space and have it, you know, and have it consistent throughout the scene, um, and then tie it to a tangible thing because. Again, my background is in adult training, so one of the things I know is that adults don't like to do something for the sake of doing it unless they know what the reason is. So to tell people, like, you create a, you know, a kitchen table in the middle of the room and it helps the scene, okay, that's fine, but if I also explain another, like, higher order level of thinking of, of relating that to their life, you know, if you're respecting what somebody else creates, um, if you are 
you know, not everything can be seen, and sometimes we have to juggle a bunch of things at once. And so creating the ability for someone to remember pieces that are invisible is a very, just a, it's a life skill. So I think that's where, where it goes from, uh, it goes just to a more rounded curriculum because no one cares. Like, I mean, when, at the end of the day, if I walk through a chair that was created, it's not that big a deal. But, but what we're trying to create is a, is a sacred space where everybody is respecting the gifts that are given. And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother conversation that's, that can't be measured, you know? Right. Because if I'm consistently walking through the chair because I don't listen and I don't pay attention because I'm so involved yes. in myself, then I'm not really embracing the fundamental of improv to be in service of this scene and of my scene partner. Yes. And that is the bigger that is the bigger conversation. And I don't know about you, but I find that that definitely takes learners they're on that's definitely their own pace and their own journey. Some people are like, Got it, of course I don't want to be a dick. And they're not being a dick purposely, right? Like it's just, Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and for others, I can say it over and over, but I'm not necessarily going to get them to that space of like, oh, this is not about me. This is about us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite moments that ever happened, I think it was in my first level one, <laughs> one of the students, we were talking about of not just waiting to talk, but actually listening to respond. And exactly. I think so we're talking about, you know, talking about like, you know, if you're having a fight with your husband and you're, you're ready to just throw your jab out there that you're saving, you know, you're not, and all of a sudden you realize that he just deflated the whole thing and it's not that big a deal and you're sitting there ready to attack. And I, you know, I talked about that in improv and, and anyway, so at one point this student, he just goes, you're teaching us how to be a better person. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I mean, essentially, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to dare to give anybody therapy, but if I can relate it to them as people, absolutely. Right. And I mean, that's, I mean, for those of us who've been doing this a long time and who really like buy into, I mean, there's those who do improv for one reason and then there's those who like buy into it really can elevate your life yeah um, I think we're bringing that to the classroom as well because I too try to tie that I'm like look you're gonna go home and be a better partner because you're right it's for exactly the same reason you're listening to listen not to respond and try to be right in an argument it's that's why we're all like but it'll change your life uh, <laughs> because you know, understand learning, and because you understand the adult learner, how do you handle when the things? Well, I, there's a let me back up because I think there's a way to curb it, but I think it it will still happen. So when the oh someone just dropped a racist remark, or they're being sexist, or they're just actively blocking and being just like not giving. Um, how do you approach that? Well, I'm a big believer in setting expectations from the jump. You know, so I I always say, you know, when I'm going through my expectations, um, just general, like being respectful and respecting the space and everything. One of part of that conversation is let's talk about content because I, I everybody somebody sorry there always be somebody that says. You know, it's comedy, nothing should be off limits. And so I address that right away um, and say that I want them to feel comfortable bringing anything up, but I also want them to feel comfortable 
um, letting me know if something becomes an issue. So that's two. So that's one thing. And then the next thing is, I tell them for now we're in level one, um, and I would like us all to agree to avoid the topics such as um, I think the main ones I always say are like racism, uh, sexism, and um, yeah, sexual things in general because they're just easy jokes. Things like incest, like those kind of taboo things, and not because I think they should be off the table, but because I need you to have the skills as an improviser first, and then at some point in your career, and I'm talking years down the road, you may able to you may be able to do an improv scene about rape, but I guarantee it's not going to be in your level one. <laughs> You know what I mean? And right. So I just tell them, I want them to know that I'm not trying to slap them on the hand, but I'm just asking them to use, to, let's take it to the basics and be respectful and, and leave out those topics. Yeah, I, I find if I still keep getting pushback, then when I fall back to what you just said, it's like, look, at the end of the day, those are lazy jokes, and yeah. I know you're smarter than that. Yep. Yeah, I have no problem stopping a scene. Um, I had one guy who everything always had to come back to the sexual, and it was, you know, he's going to have sex with his mom, and you just it was always either taboo or sexual. And at one point, I I tried to pull him aside. I would stop him, stop the scene, and say, okay, let's get past that, um, and and think a little bit. <laughs> higher than that but then I had to pull him aside and say you know this is what we agreed to day one you signed the expectations and that was on there that we would you know use our higher level thinking skills and avoid those kinds of topics and if you can't then I'm going to have to ask you to leave because it was yeah. it would stop scenes dead and pe- the poor senior partners would just look at me with this like terrified Bambi face <laughs> it's like, have you ever had to remove a student from class? I don't think so. I think most people are doing those things or saying those things because of they're uncomfortable or they're 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 scared of not being funny or whatever those things are. And so I feel like once you can have that conversation with them, I I always I have this. I don't know if you want to hear the story, but I have this story about just basically. You don't have to manufacture anything. Everything you need is right in front of you. And I just need you to take a deep breath before every scene and and let and just know that we're there for you. And I feel like the more times you remind students of that, it it gets easier. And then you see them become this beautiful um, team. And you know, once their respect is developed, but yeah, I've never and I've they never had to get to that point. That that was probably the only time. Mm, Maybe one of two or three times I've ever had to pull somebody aside, but usually that helps fix it. And I think, though, that one of the things uh, that helps even avoiding it is doing what you're doing, and that is those expectations at the top of day one or class hour one or whatever you're, you know, because it depends on the workshop or an eight-week class yeah. or whatever. But setting those expectations and having that conversation together as a group really helps because then when you have to have a tough conversation, there's not a lot of emotional charge to it of like, oh, what do I say? How do I say it? It's like, hey, remember these? Yeah. We're not using them. Let's think of a way we can use them. And if not, then, you know, 
this is probably not the right fit for you. I was going to say, in the, the troop that I'm directing right now, because what we're doing um, really, I mean, the whole thing could be a very dramatic piece, and there'd be no comedy in it, depending on what happens. Um, so we've had topics come up, um, like domestic violence and someone being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and some very sensitive topics that I've had to kind of say, okay, well, let's look at why we're bringing that up and did we treat it well? Because my whole thing is, if it comes up in, in let's say, in later later levels and they're, you know, they're in a 601 and this comes up, two things. Are we are we using it as a joke? Because being being racist is not funny. Right. But what could be funny is is someone and not I want to say demeaning the racist, but somehow putting the racist in their place in a very clever way. You know, um, I learned a term from the absurdity of of yes, yes. of what racism is uh, yes. by using that person who is racist, right? Yeah, exactly. I learned a term at the torch, which I, this is why I, this is why I always encourage people to go get training in other places because they'll throw a term at you that you're not used to in your community because you're all being trained in the same kind of little bubble. Um, and you're like, oh my god, that's genius! And one thing I learned at the torch was they you always punch up. You always punch up, never punch down. So you know it's it's a status thing. And if you know if, if I'm rich and I'm making fun of poor people, ugh, you know right. who wants to hear that? Jesus. So. Right. But if I'm the one who's been historically um, disenfranchised and I'm finally having my day, like taking yes. out the monopoly guy, that's satisfying, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, part of the form that we're doing in this improvised play is they reveal different secrets. And we did one where it was revealed that somebody was gay and it was kind of treated in a very, it became a joke. And I'm like, the, the protected people or you know these types of, you know, if it's a disability, if it's a sexuality issue, if it's a gender issue, like those aren't jokes. These are people's lives. Treat them with respect. You know, maybe the situations they're in are funny, but the fact that they are who they are is not right. funny. Yeah, their 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 orientation is not the punchline. Yeah. Uh, their color of skin is not the punchline, right? Their, yeah. Their their gender identification is not the punchline. Uh, yeah. It's the antics they find themselves in that can be funny. Exactly. Yeah. And just yeah. asking people to work harder, work harder. That's not the joke. You know, we know people are going to laugh if two men um, all of a sudden are going to act like they're going to kiss each other, which still pisses me off that that's even a thing. Um, but work harder. You know, who are these people? Go deeper than that. You know? Right. And also, uh, it, it, it becomes a bit of a frustrating thing. So uh, you and I were together at a festival that took place in a smaller community, <laughs> right? Yes. And we were watching a show, uh, and the laughs they were getting, yeah. we literally were like, uh, this would never fly in my class, and this would never fly on my stage. Yep. Yeah, and it comes down to sometimes the the way they are, um, the way their community is, or where they are as a community, right? And they just haven't had anyone point this out and then push them to move to something else. 
I think that's definitely part of it, but in the situation we're talking about, I also feel like, and I feel like so many of us have been in this position too, where something happens on stage, you say something that either comes out not the way you meant it, or it comes out and you're like, shit. And most performers <laughs> would be like, hmm, let's leave that alone now. And then, but sometimes, in this case, I think is also a big <laughs> portion of it. There was a panic. You can see the panic, and they chased it. You know, it's like that idea of we say to our students, like, double down. Like, yeah, if you're going to be an asshole, be a big asshole. But there's certain things you don't double down on, like racism and, like, really bad homophobic jokes. <laughs> like, no. Right. The other piece to that is the uh, while it's while it's laughter, it's still negative reinforcement. Yeah. As people are laughing, maybe they're laughing because they're uncomfortable, or they do find it funny and fine. Whatever. You and I won't be friends. But it's um, but it's but because our brains are like, oh, if we hear the audience laughing, we should also go down there. And it's reinforcing yeah. the wrong thing, but we're mm. like, oh, but they're laughing, so I'm going to keep chasing it. Yeah. Well, it's the Louis C.K. factor, too. I don't know if you heard the recording of that awful stand-up thing he did recently, but because, like, he doesn't give a shit what he says anymore, he went on this awful tirade, which was which was obviously intentional to say the worst possible thing, and the responses he was getting, people love that because it's like, oh, he's saying it's all this awful stuff that I wish I could say, or I, I can't believe he's saying that, you know, and it's like, that's not... That's not earned laughter. It's not laughter. That is theater. That's that's like locker room baloney, you know. Right. And and the whole like I mean, and I'm, this is not uh, what Lucy. I don't believe this is what Lucy K was doing. But people were like, well, I'm being ironic, right? So like, no. a persona like Andrew Dice Clay to me was a persona, right? Of this yeah. horrible. And also, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> In my classes, though, are like, oh, I'm being ironic. I'm like, one, satire and irony is almost impossible to pull off in improv because you're you're writing it on the fly and you don't know what the other person is going to say. Whereas when I'm writing satirical articles, I am the person who I know what's going to be said. Yeah. Secondly, like you said earlier, you are not trained yet for this. Yep. Like, chances are uh, I've got you and you're not even a year in on your journey. Yeah. Okay. Okay. When you asked if I ever threw anybody out, so I never threw anybody out, but I, did. I had this woman that she would go on these weird little, you know, um, side things in a scene and it was always inappropriate and uncomfortable. Um, and at one point I was like, you know, she's like, but I should be able to say whatever I want, even if it's shocking. And I'm like, you know, maybe you should try stand up. And I was totally serious. Because I, I'm like, that way you can control your environment. You have to listen to what's being said and not try and steer it in your in, in your intentional direction. And she literally never came back, and I found out she had tried stand-up. <laughs> and that's the thing, because people come in thinking improv is one thing, and it's mm -hmm. our job to be like, it's not. You legit have to go with this or that. You know, anytime someone pre-plans something, it doesn't land. 
And sometimes the only way they're going to learn that is by doing it. So there are times when I won't stop a scene because it's not being, like, abusive or whatever. Like, But I see what's going on, and I'm like, let it ride. Let's see what happens. And then when it fails, yep. we, we talk about, like, how did that feel? Well, it felt like shit. Great. Why? <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> yep. And the, nine times out of ten, they know. You know, I, that's the challenge with what I'm – the troupe I'm directing now is that – our shows are an hour long, and it's in three acts. So sometimes I'm like, I struggle with, do I stop them in act one with, you know, make some corrections, or do I let them see how shitty act two and three are going to be <laughs> because they didn't do the work in act one, you know? Right. And I know for myself, like, if I'm in a classroom environment, those decisions for me are um, always based on, where is this student now? What does this, this student need right now? You know, that kind of thing. And also, like, going back to what is the objective of this exercise and this class? That will help here. That will help me as the teacher guide what I am going to do in terms of uh, correction or waiting or what kind of feedback is going on. Do you, uh, when you teach, do you use a lot of, like, correction in the moment side coaching, or do you typically wait for a scene to come to a close? Gosh. Okay, so I'm going to be super honest. This has always been kind of a bone of contention with people I've okay. taught for. Um, like, I taught for one theater, and I didn't do it as much, I, but I kind of slowly, the, the more... I have taken classes, and I know what works for me, and I, and I see what works in the moment. I have become a little bit more abrupt in my coaching. You know, I know that there's some people that can't take it. I'm not going to make anybody cry. But I will say, nope, stop. okay, let's pause, and let's, let's figure it out. And I'll stand right next to someone and kind of push them a little bit um, in the moment, especially if I think they can take it. Because I, I know I don't get better by t- someone just blowing smoke and telling me I'm, that was a great scene. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm sitting there in the class, no, and if I'm sitting there in the class and I'm watching a scene and the instructor never corrects them on any of the things that they had just told us we're supposed to do and this scene isn't, doesn't have it, I'm like, why are we even here? And maybe that's just me because I'm super competitive. <laughs> but... So yeah, so I'm I have a little bit more of an aggressive style um, of coaching and, and teaching, and um, I did teach for one for one school that I don't teach for anymore that um, told me that they wanted me to stop doing that, and so I just stopped teaching for them just because I figure you know what if, if my style isn't for you, it's not for you, but I'm not going to change it, you know. Right, right, and that's totally fair. Um, I so something I like to do with my students. Is, is let them know about, like, I, I draw this bullseye where we have, like, red and then the outside is blue and then even outside of that is green. And green being, like, you're totally comfortable. You could do this all day. Blue is that learning area and red is your your brain is going to go completely shut down on me. I'm not getting through, right? You're, you're just yeah. them, My goal is to get that red as small as possible. And to do that, I've got to push right up the red but not cross into the red. Right. But I don't necessarily know where that is all the time, so I need their help. So, like, I will keep that up as a visual cue. So if I'm pushing and they point to red, I back off. Yeah, absolutely. Right, because this way I know, right? Like, this way, this is not just me. This is our time together. You're here to learn and grow. I'm telling you, I'm going to push you a bit because you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
but I don't ever want to put you in a position where you're like, and I'm done, right? Yeah. I don't want to be the reason you quit it. <laughs> right, right. Well, my goal is never to upset anybody because I, I roll it into as part of my expectations, you know, I because and, and, I want them, I want to know what they expect of me, but I also want them to know, okay, here's, this is how I teach. This is how I coach. Um, and I always say, if at any time you feel uncomfortable or, you know, if you want to tell me right now, do not interrupt me. Um, I'll respect that 100%. It doesn't mean you're not going to still get feedback that, that is very direct, but, you know, I don't, I, I, I let people kind of not dictate how I teach, but I want them to have some kind of say because I don't, I don't want to, uh, and what I have found is people that initially said they don't interrupt me by any means at, at one point during the class, they'll say, oh, no, it's fine. I like side coaching. <laughs> you know, like once they feel safe and they can trust me, because there's people from the jump that don't care, like, oh, yeah, get in my face and tell me whatever. But Yeah, and I think that also goes to, like, um, I, I don't know how I'll change my style, but this is also your experience, right? Like, you've paid to yeah. be here or you're paying. So I need to, so I, I do need to, like, work with you. So please, like, be part of this process with me and input. And that's why I also ask the students what has brought them here, right? Because if I know... Yeah that a student is legit like, look, again, like going back to like, look, I'm just terrified of being in front of people and I have a project coming up that I do need to. That's all. I just don't want to shake when I'm on stage. My notes and feedback are going to be very different than the person who's like, I want to get into your conservatory program. I, I let them know why I joined improv. You know, if I, if I can explain to them when I'm up here teaching, it's because, you know, the reason that I'm here teaching is because improv changed my life. And it's made me a better person. It's given me a better marriage. I have friends that I trust with my life that I consider family just because we've built that trust on stage. And I know they have my back 100%. I said, and I want it to give you that gift. And everything that I say comes from a place of love for this form and motivation to help you in any way that I can and help you serve each other um, and let them know that none of this comes from, you know, I'm not your mother, I'm not your boss, I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm not here to watch you fail. I'm here to push you to learn as much as you can about each other and about yourself by the end of this class. And and if, you know, if, if any of thing I say or do rubs you the wrong way, please tell me, but also know it's coming from a place of love. What, um, so with that in mind, how would you, what do you uh, use to define what a good teacher is in your, in your eyes? You know, I've had a cross-section of teachers. I, it's so funny, and I mean this in a loving way, in a loving way, and I love everything on this spectrum but kind of like on one end of the spectrum would be like a Dave Rosowski who is a little bit more aggressive which I my teaching tends to skew towards that end and then the whole other end of the spectrum which would be like a Jill Bernard who is very sweet and 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 has a very different way of approaching her classes and both, I love both of those styles um and but you know what they both have in common I think is they have empathy and they give it yes Yes. Yeah, and they love improv. They love yeah. improvisers. They love everything about it, you know. 
they're not right. self-promoting. Well, they're self-promoting to get to get the work, but they're not. It's not about them getting any kind of recognition. Right, and, yeah. when they, and, and for sure when they started, it wasn't, um, yeah, like they, yes, they need to get paid to do their job, but that's not what drives them to get up and teach everything. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, as a teacher, I think that's the hard thing about teaching improv, but also be having, I know I've been in, in corporate training for 20 plus years, and so it's really hard for me to be in a training class in general because I'm always observing how somebody teaches. Um, and so, but the great thing about that is I feel like I can learn in anybody's class um, as long as I, there are clear expectations, um, they're giving good explanations and allowing us to fail in a way that is productive. Because I've definitely been in classes I haven't mentioned any names of those people, um, but I've been in other people's classes where I was like, what is the point of this? I have no idea why we're doing this exercise. None of this is being tied back to any real knowledge. Um, and it was fine. I'm sure there were people in that class that loved it, but it's just that's not how I operate. I like to know what the goal is. <laughs> right. And so because you've been doing all of this kind of work for so long, then what do you do personally to keep your skill set? up to date with best practices and sharp and that kind of stuff. You know, it's you know, you never stop learning. I definitely try to perform as often. I don't perform as often as I used to, but try to perform and watch other people perform, but also whenever I can, time wise and money wise, to take workshops or, you know, go to Improv Utopia to the camps or um if I'm if I'm go to play at a festival, try to take at least one workshop to just to figure out what's going on out there. Um, and you know, I'm part of the improv network, and I think that anytime there's a bunch of different Facebook pages on Facebook on or sorry uh, Facebook pages that are related to improv, and people share exercises and experiences, and it's just I don't know, it's, it's social media, and it's right, 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 it's. Sure. Do you have a favorite improv exercise? Oh, favorite one. I'll tell you right now. Here's something. I'm going to lay some truth on you right here. I hate most improv games. And I mean warm-up games. Only because that's, that's just not how I warm up. And I'm always like, why are we doing this? When I get into my higher levels, I'm like, all right, guys. It's time for yeah. me to be truthful with you. I hate circle work. <laughs> oh, thank you. And there are a few that I love. I'll admit, like when I go to when I go to camp, I love um, what's the kitty cat careers. I don't know why that game makes me so happy. <laughs> it's like the only one. I hate everything else. Um, but I do them because I know they have value. It helps us work right. together as a team. Well, that's the thing is, especially uh, when I'm working with newer people, I will I do spend time in exercise warm up because those tie to our scenic warm ups later. Yes, yes. But I'd say exercise wise, I think the thing that has always proved to be the most powerful lesson at all in any improv classes, uh, um, kind of almost like I don't even know what I call it. But basically, you know, two-person scene, first person says, hey, I, you know, I, I, I'm really tired of the fact that you don't take the trash out. And the person responding, their goal is to first 
rephrase what the person just said and then yes and it, you know. Okay, so I understand that you are, are not, so you really don't like taking the trash out, but what if I do this? So they have to always rephrase what the last thing was said and then respond to it. Okay. Um, so you're making sure they're listening and, and hearing what was said? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because, and, and sometimes they'll rephrase it and still go on a like a weird tangent like no 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 let's back up what was just said all it is, it's just putting one another brick in the wall and um when people really get that that's a scene to me i don't i don't care if you know how to pantomime you know working on the ford assembly line i could give a shit but if you can sit in a chair next to somebody and have a meaningful conversation that is A, B, C, D, it just goes, it just goes one dot to another and you're not, you're not in your brain, but you're with that person. That's all I, that's all I ever want to watch on stage. I could give a shit about the antics, you know? Um, so if somebody was thinking about becoming a teacher, do you have any like advice for them on that? For me, it always goes back to a syllabus. If you're just walking into a class, it's one thing if you have a drop-in, that's, that's a whole different animal. But if you're going to teach a class with, with units that are dependent upon each other, do the work before you ever walk in the room. You know, look at each exercise. What's the purpose of it? What am I going to say? How am I going to explain? Practice explaining an exercise. I, I've heard instructors get up there and try to explain what we're supposed to do, and everybody's kind of goes, huh? And it just, yes. even just being comfortable explaining a silly game, it builds trust because, like, oh, they've, you know, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> but yeah, know, know the nuts and bolts before you try and get it up on its feet. It's why I do train the trainers with internally with my teach that up exercises so they can fuck that up. In a real-life working situation, so we can be like, why? No, you're taking too long to get to the point. What can we do here? Because unlike an improv scene, that exercise is scripted. <laughs> right. And there are specific rules, and you're like, what? Yeah. And, you know, can I tell you what the purpose of this exercise is? And that's, you know, any good syllabus, I think, you know, when I was creating, helping create the curriculum at Unscrewed, one of the things we talked about as instructors, I said, okay, so you've got this objective of make sure someone can get through an entire scene, having created furniture that is consistent throughout. Great. So what are the exercises that will achieve that goal? And giving them options. I think any good curriculum is never going to say, do this exercise. It'll say, here are four or five exercises that you, know, you can choose from. And, and then the next step, which is a step that people forget in any type of training, corporate or improv or whatever, is that am I going, how am I going to measure it? Yep, here's an exercise, but am I going to let them, you know, are they going to do a scene? Or they, what, what's the thing that's going to show me that they know how to do that? Right. I also think that people um, skip the part of, like, how am I going to get feedback from them that they're learning? What mm -hmm. questions do I need to be asking them so that I can see, you know, right? Because if you look at, like, the Bloom Taxonomy of Learning, like, what yep. learning stage are they in and all that, we yep. need to know how to ask questions to get them to answer for us. Especially, well, uh, let me put it this way. I approach it with a Socratic method lens. I'm always asking them. Me too, yeah. Right, because that's how they're going to learn. they got to come across it themselves. Yep. And I, I, I think that the art of that, of, like, 
following up and being like, great. Uh, I mean, I always start with the actor, like, how did you feel? And then I will start to dig in so that they can be like, oh, right? Like, oh, and then I can know, like, oh, they aren't even aware of X. Yeah. I'm not even bringing this up yet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if, if you really want to get super nerdy about educational stuff, um, you, since you brought up Bloom's taxonomy, um, is probably the, you know, as a training manager, the biggest mistake I see training, trainers make in the professional world is they write objectives that start with the word understand. I can't observe somebody understanding somebody, no, something. Right. You know, but can I observe, what is, what is the observable role? You know, am I going to have them, you know, state the definition of blah, blah. Um, yeah, because people yeah. want to write their objectives and you can't measure that. What I love about that is that ties back to improv. You need to show me. Yeah, because, you know, in a scene, in a scene, you know, I, the, I keep bringing it back to these folks, but it's my primary thing right now. But with the improvised play, you know, they're revealing secrets and they were being like super <laughs> creative with like how they were revealing their secrets. And I was like, you know what? Just say it. Just you know, people need to have it in front of their face. And if I'm if I'm going all these flowery words um, and not saying, you know, I'm I'm your mother, not your sister, um, or you know, whatever the thing is, I I, I love that on stage because I say my biggest direction in general, whether somebody is one on one or has been doing it for years, is say it, say the hard thing, because you're dancing around each other. And you're not telling, you know, your your improv your improv scene partner that you know I don't want to marry you, or I'm not I'm not sure that Joey is your child, or like whatever the thing is, spell it out. Stop, you know, stop dancing. Uh, any last uh, thoughts, or have I missed anything? Anything else you can think of? Lauren, I have lots of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Pertain to this podcast specifically. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think, yeah, okay. So I think uh, the biggest, the next biggest piece of advice I would give to somebody who wanted to teach is be prepared for your students to fail. Yes. Because whether you are coaching, and you know, you and I talked about this recently, whether you are coaching or teaching, and no matter how good you are or how explicit you think you're being with your instructions, they're going to not get it at some point. Or they're going to make mistakes that you make you question your very existence. Like, why, why am I driving 25 miles to watch you guys shit the bed in front of me? <laughs> but... You know, and then you show up the next class and they knock it out of the park, which is always hilarious. But, you know, be prepared for them to fail and know how to and figure out how to recover. You know, get support from your peers or um, talk to them. Say, OK, this happened last time. What's what can we do differently? Because it's going to happen. <laughs> for sure. Uh, where can people find you if you want to share that information like online and all that good stuff, you know? My big project, the improvised play, it can be found at uh, on Facebook. At, uh, unwritten, the improvised play is what you would be listed under. I also I perform around town. I'm not really tied to any specific theater, but 
And don't you have like a page for you and your duo partner that can also like online? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, ex, my, I'm in a duo called Ex Boyfriend, and we have a Facebook page. I think it's Ex Boyfriend Improv, and we're going to be at the San Diego Improv Festival for sure. And. February, and then still waiting to hear about a few others, but you can follow that on our page. Perfect. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been, like, this has been really fun. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun as well.